talked a lot in recent times about the players and what a disrupted few months it has been for them. But what about the umpires? Today, we're excited to be talking all things umpiring with Chris Brown, one of New Zealand's representatives on the ICC International Panel of Umpires. As well as an international umpire, Chris was also a very handy cricketer himself, representing Auckland, the Cook Islands, plus, of course, the mighty East Coast Bays Cricket Club. So let's get to it. Chris Brown, welcome to the Top Order podcast. Thanks. Thanks very much. So we've just been lucky enough to talk to Dean Brownlee from ND and are doing the rounds, talking to representatives from all of the provinces here across New Zealand. So he was just telling us, I think, about some of the playing conditions that are going to potentially be a little bit different. So regulations change. So there's kind of no saliva on the ball at the moment. Home umpires in test matches, more reviews. How does that all get conveyed to you and, and how many of those sort of rule book pages you have to kind of tear up and think about again as you approach a new season of cricket? Yeah, it's certainly going to be uh, probably one out of the box this, this season coming up. Uh, as, as you mentioned, no uh, saliva on the ball. That's, that's going to be interesting uh, for a lot of players and to see how that goes. Um, umpires wiping the ball down with a with a cloth of, of some sort and maybe spraying it if, if need to. Um, so yeah, look, it's just the world, I guess, the way it is at the moment, isn't it? People are going to have to adjust to it. We're going to have to learn to adjust to it pretty quickly. Um, but you know, and that's all been communicated uh, to us through the ICC, uh, you know, via email and through our, our coach that um, you know I, I speak to on a on a weekly basis, and that. And we've been lucky enough, uh, you know, to get a sort of a heads up on how it went over in, in England and that there were, were no real issues with saliva on the ball with the, the test matches that were that were played in England and the home umpires that there were you know, no issues yeah there's a, an extra review for 2020s one days and, and test matches and that so it's kind of just the world we're in at the moment I guess you just have to suck it up and get on with it and at the end of the day I, you know you'd have to say we'd be pretty lucky if we can be playing cricket I've got a random logistical question from you. England, and I'm an Englishman, as you can probably tell from my accent, we try and change the ball about every five minutes, particularly when it's not swinging. What's to stop a team just coming up to you as an umpire when the ball isn't doing what they want it to do and saying, oh, sorry, um, I've just put heaps of saliva on this. Can we change it? Is is there, a, I guess, a mandate that you guys have got, a regulation that governs that? Yeah, that comes down to it. So they, they can be penalised with the Five penalty runs, so uh, you, you might you'll get a warning first. Uh, if it happens again, you'll get a second and, and final warning. And every time it happens after that, it's um, five penalty five penalty runs. And you know, if you need to change the ball because uh, you're trying to change the condition of the ball, then then so be it. But uh, yeah, I like to think people are going to be a little bit smarter than that. Hopefully. Yeah, do you think that the regulations will be largely sort of self-regulating or do you see yourselves as umpires having to enforce those kind of regulations? You must have to have your eyes on a swivel potentially if the players are going to try and game the system, right? Yeah, you, you're certainly um, going to need to be uh, a lot more observant, I guess, in that. Watch, watch the ball you know, go from the keeper back to the bowler in that international level. I guess you're lucky you've got 20-odd, 20 26, 24, 26 cameras, however many it is, to help keep an eye on it and a third umpire and a metric and that but I guess at first pass level will be up to the umpires on the field and that and you'll just you just got to be vigilant as, as you are with um, you know, the possibility of ball tampering in that and if you see um, someone putting saliva on it we, you know, we know what to do and uh, you know, you'd like to think it, it, it's not going to be an issue but if it is um, 
then we know what we have to do. You mentioned a coach before. What does training look like for an international umpire? I mean, are you guys sitting down, kind of, I guess, watching all the other games and kind of making your own decisions? How does it How does it look for you? Yeah, so there is a certain extent of that. On um, OneDrive, we can uh, have a look at the dismissals and the appeals from other games that are happening around the world. Um, you can sit there yourself and mute it and you know, go through the decision yourself from a third umpire point of view. Um, David Levins is our ICC coach. Uh, he lives in Melbourne, uh, Australia. Um, so I talk to him once a week, uh, you know, just to get an idea of what's happening in that, but also that once once a week I'm doing third umpire training with him uh, via Skype and that, so he'll basically share his screen with us and we'll, we'll go through some scenarios um, that, that have occurred in that, you know, from a third umpire point of view, so otherwise, you know, it's, it's a lot of reading playing conditions, laws, um, for your test matches, T20s, one days, um, all that stuff, but and I guess also getting used to this possibility now that uh, third umpire will be calling no balls, you know, front foot no balls and that. So it's just, you know, something else for the third umpire to, to be doing on top of everything else. And how intimately involved are you with the providers of that technology? So the guys who design and build Hawkeye and, and the DRS systems, how involved are you with the actual procurers or the makers of that technology in terms of what its capabilities are and, and what the limitations and like the, the kind of margins for error there are that you need to factor into your decision-making process? Yeah, I, I don't know how much... I guess that's probably through um, ICC head office and that over, over in Dubai, uh, but, but I would imagine there's, there's a lot of communication with them. Um, and what it is that the ICC are requiring from them, you know, they've got to know that, you know, in order for it to be a no ball, it's first impact, you know, so it doesn't matter about the, the front foot sliding over the line and that, if the first impact's behind the line, then then that's good enough. So they've, they've got to know that, but yeah, I, I don't know. I guess that, that's a hard one, hard one to answer answer for me, but I would suspect there's, there's a, lot, um, a lot of communication between the, provider and, and the ICC and, and no doubt they get back from the guys on the umpires on, on the elite panel and what makes things easier for them and, and how, you know how, how can they help them do their job better. And you also touched on the, the neutral um, no, home umpires now. I mean, do you think, uh, is that something you're kind of excited about now that I guess potentially the whole New Zealand summer will be umpired by New Zealand umpires and, you know, you might even have the opportunity to do a Boxing Day test in New Zealand in front of your home crowd. Yeah, oh, look, look that's, that's certainly uh, very exciting. You know, we're, um, we're lucky on the international panel, we get to umpire T20s and, and ODIs um, at, at home and, you know, and around the world, uh, not so much test matches. So, you know, if, if a test match was to, was to come along and to get the opportunity to... A stand in a test match first of all, and but to be able to do it um, in New Zealand would be certainly pretty special. So uh, you know, if that was to happen, it would be um, yeah, it would be quite a buzz. I think to be fair. So what's the what's the sort of feeling around that being able to stand in home home test matches? Is that something we can see happening once we can travel freely again? Yeah, 
I, I guess it's something the ICC could look, look at, and, and maybe they are. I don't know, but you know, with technology these days, and that, and I'd like to think the integrity of umpires around the world is you're going to try something silly, uh, you know, to advantage the home team. Mm. You're going to get caught out and have a pretty short career. I, I would have thought so. Uh, look, I think it's something that you know they that possibly could look at, and, and maybe they are looking at. I don't know, but. Uh, it's, it's been banded around, you know. Do, do you need neutral umpires for these things with all the um, technology that's going on around at the moment? You know, who knows? I, I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know the answer. Personally, you know, I, I like the idea of uh, neutral umpires, certainly for test matches. You know, it's it's just one less thing um, for a team to have to have to worry about. Yeah, okay, so down to the nitty-gritty here. How is your performance assessed at the international level? I guess, and that sort of leads me to the next question of how you move up the ladder towards the, the elite panel. I'm guessing it's a bit more complex than the uh, the club scoring system, 1 to 10. Yeah, I, I guess, uh, first of all, um, we've got a match referee uh, at every international match and that, so they log um, every decision you make, out, not out, uh, you know, they might look at if there's a marginal wide call or anything like that. So they'll look at your man management, uh, your match management, how you conduct yourself on the field, how you conduct yourself. If you cock something up and you have to overturn a decision, you know, does your body language change and that? So they, they look at all, all that. So, you know, it's gone away from just the right decision or the wrong decision sort of thing. Mm. And there's just a whole bigger holistic view now of, of umpiring and that. So, you know, and they report on on how the game went and how they feel you went, the decisions you made and whether you looked confident and had to talk to someone for, you know, bowler running on the wicket, whatever it is, and it gets, goes back to the to the ICC. So we get those after after every game. And then, I don't know, I guess as, as far as how do you, how do you get, get up to the, to the elite panel on that, it's comes down to, oh, who knows, I, I guess performances um, and that is, you know, the, the funnel gets smaller and smaller as you, as you go up, uh, up the grade, so to speak, and that is, you know, it gets harder and harder. So, yeah, who knows, you just got to bide your time, you just any opportunities you get, you just got to make the most of them, whether it's uh, an ICC tournament overseas, uh, you know, perform well there, get a semi-final or a final or whatever, have, have a pretty good summer in that as long as you're prepared and you know you, when the opportunity comes you put your best foot forward and what will be will be so i guess following on from that sitting at home i always really feel i guess for the umpires when you get that moment where the decision's gone upstairs and you get that horrible moment where the tv umpire comes on and says uh, Chris, that's wickets hitting. You're going to need to overturn your decision. How do you cope with that mentally? A, when you get that situation where it's like your decision's right, Chris, stick with your on-field decision versus the flip side where they say, nah, you've, you've got that horribly wrong. It's pitched a foot outside leg stump. It's, you know, missing uh, missing leg stump as well. You need to overturn that. How, how do you kind of stay level and how do you cope with that when you're on the field? Yeah, I guess it- in, in some ways, you're quite lucky. There's normally a big screen there, so you can see as the, as the third umpire is talking through it. 
uh, you know, whether you need to start digging a hole for yourself. Yeah, you're not, you're not, not. Te- tearing up under the sunnies, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It's, uh, look, it's, it's a feeling, you know, I still got to get used to when you, um, when you get it right, it's great, you know, you, you obviously feel 10 foot tall and, and you know, I'm pretty happy you, you got it right. If, if you get it wrong, I guess there's varying degrees to that extent as well. You know, sometimes, yeah, the one down league side, whether it's just flick the glove or not, or you haven't heard anything, and the technology show, yeah, you, know, you give it not out. The technology show, there's a, there's a little spike there. You know, sometimes you just got to forgive yourself and say, well, okay, well that ball was too good for me. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll cop it. Fair enough. Um, other times, you know, it might might be a little a little bit harder, but you just got to just really got to suck it up and. and have thick skin, and especially when, when you do have to overturn, you, you know, your, your ego takes a bit of a hit, um, to be fair, but that's where having a, a good routine, I think, really helps. Because uh, the last thing you want to do is, is make another mistake the, the next ball. So if, if you've got a, a good, sound routine that you can go back to, that you've done every other ball before, whether you've had to make a decision or not, uh, refocus, reset yourself, and worry about you know, worry about it after the game, um, or you know, out, or out of square leg if you want to think about it. But you need to process it quickly and and, and move on because the last say the last thing you want to do is make two or three bad mistakes in, in a short period of time. Speaking of that routine, there's going to be a change to a lot of the playing conditions around the world now with third umpires looking at front foot no balls. How much does that change the umpire's routine and does that give you more or less focus in terms of like what's going on down the other end of the field rather than having to change your focus from looking at the front foot no ball and then all of a sudden having to be 0.4 of a second later assessing what's going on down the other end? Yeah, I, I guess it's, everyone will be different in that, uh, no doubt. You may not have to look at the front foot quite so hard. You might want to see you know, where the front foot's standing is the bowler coming wider of the crease. Uh, is he bowling further back? Is he, is he coming closer to the crease? You know, if they're using the crease, it's, it's nice to know for angles, obviously, for LD. As far as having to adjudicate no balls and that, no, it looks it would be nice to not, not to have to worry about that so much and concentrate more so what's happening really at the um, at the business end uh, and get that right. You know, it'd be nice to spend a little more time, and especially in twenty twenties or one days. You know, when when batsmen are moving around. Has he moved the foot outside off? Has he moved away to left? Uh, so it's not surprising you when you're looking at the front foot, uh, and, you know, focusing on the other end. And hello, no, that's that's not where the batsman was when I last looked at it. So yeah, look, look, I think it'll be good, but everyone will be different. Uh, I know we were lucky enough to have that technology at the Women's World Cup in February, March over in Australia, and and everyone was different. Some, some guys were just saying, look, I'm not even going to look at the front foot now. I'm just going to worry what's happening at the other end. And others are, well, you know, that's my routine. It's just it's what I do and that, that, that's what I'll be sticking with. So, and, and hopefully save a little heartache. You, know, you see from time to time when a, a no ball is caught on field and technology shows there was, there was maybe something behind and slipped forward so we can hand uh, it to the third umpire now. You've obviously been privileged to play and umpire the game at a high level. Can you describe the difference between being a player in a pressure situation, you know, maybe defending a, a low number of, of runs off the final over of a game, to being an umpire in that, in that situation? 
don't worry about uh, buying the last last over of uh, too many games. If there was something on it, that was up to someone else. Um, <laughs> Uh, that was that was up to a Michael injury or, or someone like that, but yeah, look, I I guess it. Make, you know, who can make the least mistakes? And you know, the bowler, Mrs. Yorker, uh, you know, can get hit out of the park for an umpire. You know, if he's bowling full and wide of the uh, at the wide line, and that comes down to you to either call that a wide or or a fair delivery in that. So yeah, look, there's a lot. And, and as far as the differences, I mean, who knows? I'm. I guess in that, in that situation, if I was going on versus anything, I know when I'm umpiring, six rounds to win with two balls left or, or whatever, um, it, you're as nervous as hell because you, you know, you, you don't want to be coming off the off the game having an influence as an umpire because you got something wrong. Uh, so it is. Look, it's very nerve wracking. I don't know. I guess my my palms get sweaty and I try not to. <laughs> Why not to fall over, I, I suppose. <laughs> and I guess when we look at umpiring and playing and, you know, what we do in our respective careers, you get a buzz from your professional success, you know, um, whether that's, you know, you win a big pitch, you, you know, you hit a big six. As an umpire, do you feel that level of fun or enjoyment when you get a really tough call right in a big moment? Or have you got to be so focused professionally because you're the, you know, the, the sole arbiter of that game at that point? Do you, do you get that rush? Do you get that, you know, yes, wow, like you did when you were a player or, or in your professional career outside of cricket? Yeah, oh, look, you certainly do. Um, you know, I mean, every umpire knows when, you, when they come back to, to you to put the umpire on screen and that, and, and it, you know, You've given someone out, and you're told to stick with your original out decision, and give them out again. You know, you, sometimes you want to do a cartwheel or a little fist pump, and that <laughs> you've just got to rein yourself in, and you know, vice versa. If you need to overturn it, you just got to have positive body language and overturn your decision, and and get on with it as as if you're just another thing. Uh, so. Yeah, look, it, it, it is a buzz. You know, the, the more you get right, obviously, the, the more you're going to enjoy the game and the more you have to overturn your decisions, uh, uh, yeah, the harder the game's going to be. But, it's, yeah, look, it, it, is, it is certainly buzzing. You know, it's like like you say, the batsman hitting a, a six right out of the middle middle of the bat and um, for an umpire to, uh, you know, to get, get your decisions right and to be proved by technology that, you know, what you saw and, and what you heard was, was, was correct is, yeah, it's a buzz, and you know, it certainly does give you a, a nice rush. And you count those as two outs in your KPIs as well. You get the original one and the <laughs> and the overturn. So yeah, you're two for two. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> when you come off the ground at the end of the day as an umpire, have you had a good game? And, and your sort of mate at Square Legs had a good game. Maybe the thirties had a good game as well. Do you guys like sit in the dressing room and have a beer and go, "Yeah, actually, we did a pretty good job today," or is it so professional that? It's kind of all about the decision-making process and and the review and all that kind of stuff. Like, how much do you enjoy the end of the day sitting in the shed and going, "Yeah, I got that one right today. I had a good game." Yeah, oh, oh very much. That's you know, that that's certainly a pleasing aspect of the job, and that, you know, and I think most of us would agree that, or the or the umpires anyway, that if you come off and uh, the umpires haven't had an influence on the game and they're not talking about the umpires, then then you. You've had a good day and done a great job, but there's there's always things uh, that we know we could do better, you know, or that, that certainly at the international level we'll have that peer review 
where you might say, Brownie could have done this a little better, or he could have been a little clearer with this, um, just indicating someone get off the danger area, and, you know, the bowler and his follow through and that. Um, so there's, yeah, look, I don't think there's no such thing as, as the perfect game. There, there'll always be work on um, and that and processes to follow in that. But look, like I say, coming off the ground, uh, no one's talking about the umpires. Uh, haven't had an influence on the game. I think that's, that's pretty much a good a good day's uh, work, I would have thought. How about, are you able to appreciate what the players do out there? Um, you know, like for someone's having a an awesome spell of bowling or a magical innings, are you kind of getting excited about being, you know, we sort of think as someone just sitting on the sideline, you've got the best seat in the house, but are you too focused on what you're doing or are you able to kind of get a buzz out of that as well? Uh, you know, you certainly certainly can get a buzz out of it. You know, it's great. I, I, I used to bowl, so I, I love watching top-class bowlers work, work over a batsman or a way swinger, a way swinger, a way swinger, how something's got to be coming back shortly sort of thing. And sure enough, you know, one comes comes back and that. It is, it is great to watch. And, and you know, I, I've, I've got no issues handing someone's cap back at the, you know, the end of an over if they fold well or, you know, or they batted well and just saying, hey, congrats, you know, well batted or well bowled that over. But look, I, I do. I think it's, um, I think it's good. Certainly at the international level, every ball, you know, you, for, for an umpire, certainly for me anyway, you're, you're on edge because something's going to happen and you know there's one or two cameras around that'll kind uh, of show you show you up sort of thing <laughs> and that. But, you know, when someone is in the middle of, of a good spell or, or bowling well and that, there's, uh, I certainly don't think there's any harm in just saying, well, bowled as you hand back the cap and, you know, toddle out the square leg. So uh, you've umpired games in front of massive crowds and also done also four-day stuff and, and stuff where there is smaller crowds. Does the noise have any effect on you or are you so focused that how do you deal with that, you know, extra stimulation? Yeah, yeah, that is a good question because obviously your plunket shield is, you know, and our first class, there's not a lot of people that come and watch and you get up to the international the one day is the 2020s, you get good crowds. And certainly, uh, when, when India were here uh, a couple of years ago, uh, the loudest crowd I've come across was at Eden Park with T20 there, full house, 40 odd thousand. Never experienced anything like that before. And, you know, it just gives you goosebumps in that, but it, it, it raises you as well. Uh, you know, it, you almost grow grow another another leg. And if you can put the crowd out of your mind, and, and like I said, well, this is where a good routine is, I, I think, vital that you just, you can hit that routine again, reset yourself, concentrate on what you, you need to do. Sure, you may not hear the, the faint mix with, with the noise because it's just constant the whole time. I, I don't know how the umpires in India do it, but they deal with that day in, day out, you know, yeah. for all, all their games and that. Uh, but it does, you know, it, it raises you. It's a great atmosphere and to be fair, like like someone, you know, one of you said before, you, you're in the best seat in the house, and you know that is that is so true. You you're up close uh, and personal with some of the best players in the world, and you get to experience the the buzz and, and the atmosphere that that they are while they're, they're out there doing their thing, and and you're doing yours. We saw uh, recently at the some some controversy at the IPL around uh, one short decision. 
for me, it's kind of raised questions around whether technology should expand to include more third umpire decision making. Uh, I'm personally, we've broached this topic a lot of times, I don't like the uh, technology in sport uh, as much as the, as the other guys do. Do you think that uh, technology needs to go that far or do we as fans just need to accept that there is a human element to this decision making process? Where, where's that line for you? Yeah, there is that human element, you know, I, I do believe we I think having too much technology is just going to slow the slow the game down. And I know then there's a counter argument that you know you want you want the right decision made, but technology, as as you know, technology is not always right either. You know, your ball tracking or whatnot, or it's not it's not 100. percent You know, mis- mistakes can be made. Um, so look, there there is that human element, and cricket has that with you know batsmen when they get out, bowlers when they when they bowl a rubbish delivery and that. Umpires when they get get things wrong, it's you know it is it is part of the game, and you, know, you, you don't want that one little factor um, having an outcome on the game. And, and sometimes it is just going to. But you, I guess, at the end of the day, you've got to remember that it is just a game. At the end of the day, um, and, and mistakes are made on on by all parties in that. Um, but I guarantee you. That game wasn't lost because of the one short run. No doubt, there was probably dropped <laughs> yeah. tackle beforehand. Hundred percent. Right. There was a wide that was given that maybe shouldn't have been a no ball. Call. Any any number of things. You know, this this. I don't believe there's always not in ninety nine percent of the cases. There's not one thing that's you know responsible for the loss. It's it's a combination of things over as you know forty overs or hundred overs of cricket or ninety ninety eight overs in a day sort of thing so yeah look technology certainly has its place and and I like the the technology that we've got it's not like I say it's not perfect but I think it's you know the players see it they know it is what it is that they accept it and, and it I believe anyway that it's it's like it saves a, a bit of angst on the field and that you know, once the decision is upheld or overturned or whatever the players are generally pretty good they just Tend to get on with it, you know. They they see what they see on the big screen, accept it, and and move on. I feel like sometimes the fans are the harshest critics of umpires. It almost feels like all of the fans of cricket, and and I'm one of them, expect umpires to deliver a hundred percent accuracy. And we all know that that's that's not possible. Players are human, fans are human, everyone's human. We generally tend to accept that of our players, but not so much of our umpires. How do umpires feel about potentially being held to a different standard to the rest of the cricket community? And, and what sort of pass mark do you guys set for yourselves in terms of the standards you set as, as international umpires? Yeah, look, the standard's high. You, you go into every game, you don't want to make mistakes. You don't, you don't want to be, you know, the, the cause of, uh, you know, talk after a game or, or anything like that. So you certainly go in with the mindset and, and the preparation um, you're prepared as, as Best as, as you can be to do what you need to do, but the fact of the matter, the fact of the matter is, chances are you, before you even walk out, you're going to make mistakes uh, or perceive or, or perceived mistakes. The bowler may not be happy that you've caught a wide, and you know, sure, it might just be outside the wide crease, or it might just be in, inside. Um, I guess it's a perception thing in that, but I don't know. Uh, you know, I guess I mean players, batsmen, they go out there, they want to score fifty hundreds, bowlers want to. Want to take wickets? 
umpires want to get all, all their decisions right. You know, the no balls, the, the wide deliveries, the short deliveries, you're out, you're not out, your LBs, you're, you're caught behind everything. You know, a batsman wants to hit everything out of the middle of the bat. Bowler wants to have the, the ball on the string, which, you know, as we all know, they don't happen that, that often in that. Uh, but it's the more, the better you prepare yourself, um, I guess the harder you work, the, the luckier you, you, I guess you, you get. It's a game played by humans and humans make mistakes and we'll all make mistakes and you just hope that um, you know, whatever mistake you do make you make it it doesn't have an outcome on the game or that no one's talking about the, the umpires at the end of the day but you just got to have a bit of a thick skin and Brownie, you mentioned you're a bowler when when you played. How hard was it to to train yourself to to think rationally about decisions? I remember when you first started umpiring club cricket, you were a pretty hard man to get an LBW out of. Yeah, actually, when I started umpiring, that's because you never had anyone LBW, Lippy. That's why <laughs> spun it too much. <laughs> yeah, he did. He did spin it a long way. Um, it, it was Don't one big of... him up, Brownie. <laughs> As soon as, as soon as that came out of my mouth, I was giving myself an uppercut. <laughs> we, 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 we've, got, we've got a small room, not enough for the ego. <laughs> oh, dear, yeah. No, apologies about that. Uh, where was I now? Yeah, I've lost my train of thought now. How did you train yourself to, to not give everything out? Because when you're bowling, uh, everything is out, right? Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. To be fair, when I was playing, yeah, everything was out. But one of the best pieces of advice I got um, when I started off was from Roger McCarg and he always said, LBWs, be hard on LBWs. Be very hard on LBWs because as you get more confident, as you get more experience, you'll, uh, and as you know now with CRS and board tracking and that, you'll get a better idea of what's out, what's not out. So I was, I was, uh, maybe I am still hard on LBWs, I don't know. Um, but I was perfectly hard on, on LBWs. In fact, mm. so much so I, in one game, um, Colin Munro had a couple of good, uh, very good, good shouts for LBW, which I turned down, and and a third one, and he walked past me and uh, gave me some great advice and along the lines of, Brownie, not everything has to be hit in the fucking middle. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. So earlier we um, we talked to Shane Dietz, who's the CEO of Vanuatu Cricket, and Deepak Patel about his experiences in uh, PNG. Uh, they both talked about how much talent there is out there, and um, but there's many challenges that exist for those nations. So you you played a little bit for the Cook Islands. What are your memories of that time, and, and how do you think those nations can improve? Yeah, I look, I've, I've played about 10 years, I think, for the, for the Cook Islands. That. Loved it. You know, absolutely loved it to, to be able to share my experiences um, at first-class level Back then, and that was was fantastic. The guys that um, I played with, and that loved their cricket. You know, they they really do. Um, I guess the challenges I've got like half half the team when I was playing half, half live in New Zealand and, and all around New Zealand, obviously, and the other half haven't played it on on the islands. That you know, there's 15 different islands there are in the Cook Islands, and that. So getting together for tournaments um, was was an issue. Just things like gear. Um, Proper shoes, mm. um, pads, bats, and, and that—all all, all these sort of things are, are, are issues. But look, that, that was that was some of the the best times I had. And, and the talent out there is, yeah, batsmen in particular, 
you know, they may not, they may not, never, have never read the MCC on how to book on how to bat. Uh, get, you know, keep your front foot to the pitch of the ball, get eyes over the ball and whatnot. But their hand-eye coordination, some of these guys can hit the ball a, a hell of a long way. And, and it looks ungainly, obviously, in that. But, you know, they can score quickly. They're very athletic in the field. Uh, they've got great arms on them. Run between the wickets very quickly in that. So there is, there is a, there's a lot of talent out there. And it, it's just getting, I guess, getting them consistent cricket to, to play on, on a regular regular basis in that. And, you know, like I say, it's, it is great fun. Some of the um, East Asia Pacific tournaments I went to in that, the talent there, Vanuatu had a very strong side. Papua New Guinea was extremely strong. Fiji was. You know, they got some really good players, really good players there. And just getting the experience of coming to New Zealand, playing, you know, New Zealand teams, whether it's premier teams uh, around New Zealand, uh, teams in, in Australia and that, they're only going to get, get better and better. Segwaying slightly to umpiring development, I mean, it's a very, very lonely game and we need umpires and we need more umpires coming through the system and, and wanting to transition from a playing career to becoming umpires. What advice would you give to young men and women out there who are thinking of taking up the white coat and becoming an umpire? Seriously, just to give it a go. When it, this umpiring was never something I wanted to do, never something I thought I would do. I kind of, I fell into it. Um, yeah, and my biggest regret is that, that I didn't try it earlier. Uh, you know, I got into it. I was watching cricket one one night with my wife, the Ashes one night. Um, made a couple of decisions that you know that there were shouts on on the TV and that. And girls turned to me and said, "Well, why don't you look at umpiring? You, know? <laughs> you think you're pretty good." And I remember turning to her and going, "Why would I want to do that? You know, you, just, you stand out there all day and you just get abused." And, <laughs> I was I was told you know how hopeless I was around the weekends because I just sat there and watched cricket all day and did nothing anyway so I was a, I was a waste of space anyway so <laughs> reading reading between the lines I didn't think she wanted me around so you know, I made a couple of calls and did my exams and that and and loved it and it wasn't until I actually my very first game it was just a warm up game down at Fryeburg Park at Brown State here East East Coast Bay played someone and Jules was there and, and she saw me walking off and I just big grin on my face and you know, I just enjoyed it and I loved it and ever since then you know it's I've regretted not thinking uh, I guess I mean it's like I say it was not, not something I did I fell into it but if I had the time again I, I would have finished playing and like Chris Gaffney did just, just went straight into it sort of thing but my my only advice would be just give it a go give it a go see, see what it's like if you enjoy it and I'm sure you will then See, see how far you can go with it. You know, read the laws, read your playing conditions, and just learn from the best. Ask questions. Um, yeah, mate, oh, just give it a go. That's all I'd say. Brian, you look so much. Thanks for your time. We always do like to finish the podcast though with a little bit of a quick fire round, and um, look really good to actually put an umpiring spin on this because we're normally talking about you know biggest six and. Uh, you know, favourite Jaffa that you've bowled. But let's talk about some umpiring decisions. So you said you feel that little surge of prize or, or pride or retribution when you get one right. So what's the favourite decision that you've made since donning the white coat? Maybe a retired player that you've fired out or you really hated? <laughs> uh, look, my very first DRS one was 
Tom Latham, um, sweeping Bangladesh in a one-dayer. Who's the left arm spinner? I forget his name. Shaqib, that's it. Yep, gave it out. Uh, I thought, oh, my giddy aunt, when I was watching the replay and that, I'm not sure if that's going to be hitting, and it just hit leg. Um, thankfully, so, you know, I started off on the right foot. But w- one I do remember in particular was in a one-dayer with, uh, no, 2020 in Wellington. Colin Munro, left-hander, as you know. Left, left um, Shadid comes in. Uh, sorry, the right, right arm leggy. Munro then whips around as a right-hander. Has a big swipe across the line. Missed a big appeal for LBW. I knew, I knew it was in front. I just too much doubt. Gave it not out. No, they reviewed it. And um, just going over over the top. So it was just missing. So I was, I was pretty happy with that one. If I could have done a cartwheel then, I would have. <laughs> And you talk about cartwheels. What about the one that keeps you up at night? What's the What's the one you think? Oh no! Jeez, how long have you got? <laughs> <laughs> we got time for one. <laughs> uh, you know, look, I I do remember one. Uh, it wasn't a batsman anyway. It was Lockie Ferguson of all, of all people. He's got a big in, inside edge um, from one from uh, leg spinner from South Africa. Gave him out. Our WWE didn't. Yeah, didn't see the didn't see the or hear the inside edge. Um, he's reviewed it, looked up on the big screen, and oh my god, how the hell did I miss that? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's all right. The groundsman already turned the roller on. That's fine, no problem. Yeah. Um, what what what's uh, we talked a little bit about this before, but what what's the best innings you've witnessed as an umpire and the best spell of bowling you've witnessed as well? Oh, best innings. She's, uh, internationally, Ross Taylor got a good hundred. South Africa down in Christchurch in a one dayer. Tom Latham got a 260-odd in a first-class game at yeah. Napier, which was pretty pretty, pretty good to watch. Yeah, it, you know, as you know, it's a, it's a great place to, to watch. So, you know, a couple of those innings certainly, certainly stood out. And what about the best spell of bowling when you've been standing there just going, bloody hell, how'd you play this? Trent Bolt, the Piper at Hamilton, what was it, last season? A couple of seasons ago. I can't even remember who, who it was against. Yeah, he, uh, he had it on a... On a string that day, swinging it, swinging it in, going across the batsman and that. And then, look, this is our final one um, of the quick fire round, apart from the highlight of your career, which we'll come on to in a second. But we need an answer to this. This is genuine. Um, what's the best banter or sledging you've heard on the field? You don't, you don't need to give us the names if they're still current players and need their anonymity. But yeah, what's the best banter or sledging you've heard out on the field? It's not the Australians, we know that, right? Uh, no. No, it's not. It's, um, Graham Aldridge, I think, is, I think he's now coach of the, the Northern District mm. Knights, isn't he? In my, um, in my, very, in my first class debut game, uh, down at Hagley, Hagley Oval, uh, Green Steamer, the game was over in two days in, in a session. Um, I was nervous as anything. I was turning down LWs, I was turning down court behinds, down the leg side, everything, and, and G, um, another appeal, gave it not out, into the overhand, into the cat back to him. One of his teammates ran past him and went, What was that? What was that with that one? And all I heard was, Oh, mate, shit decision, even a worse explanation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Um, <laughs> Look, we'll go from uh, from the sublime and uh, well, well, from the ridiculous actually to the sublime. What's the highlight of your umpiring career so far? What's the, the thing that gives you the most pride? I guess a I guess a job a job well done, um, especially on, on the um, 
international stage and that with all the cameras and you know, all the critiquing that, that goes on about it. You, you come off after a close game and you're happy with how you go on. The decisions have been right and that, that's, that, that's, that's pretty hard to beat, to be fair. That's, um, you know, that's a, a job well done. Uh, you can give yourself a pat on the back and, and open a beer. One, one last memory I, I did have, I was lucky enough a couple of years ago to um, go over to Australia and do, uh, as part of the tri-series with England, Australia and New Zealand, go over and umpire a couple of games over there and I was able to stand at the MCG and the SCG. And at the SCG, I was standing at Square Leg and you guys will probably seen a lot of cricket too where you look at the sunset over there. The old member stand and, and that over there and I was standing out at Square Leg and it was a beautiful night, really red, nice, nice orange red sky behind it and I was standing at Square Leg looking over the, the stand there at the SCG and thinking, yeah, shit, this is pretty cool. <laughs> Magic. Well, Barney, look, it's been awesome to talk umpiring with you. We, yeah, we've talked to a lot of players. It's great to get that perspective from behind the scenes. So, look, thank you very much for your time joining us on the Top Order podcast. And, yeah, looking forward to seeing plenty of cricket on the field over this New Zealand summer. And we'll, we'll see you in the, yeah, the, the white coat, the blue coat, or whatever colour it is you guys wear now to, to help the guys see the ball a little bit better. Yeah, no, it's a pleasure, guys. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks for tuning in to the Top Order podcast. Before you disappear from our feed, if you're a new listener, please do go and check out the back catalogue. We've spoken recently to New Zealand coach Gary Stead. We've got Graham Thorpe. We've got Shane Dietz. We've got Barry Richards, Shane Bond, Colin Miller, all in the back catalogue. You can find the details www.thetoporderpodcast.com with the Top Order podcast on Instagram, although we're still really figuring that out. We're at Top Order Pod on Facebook and Twitter, so don't be shy to jump on, give our tweets a share or a retweet, and we'll see you next week.